Welcome, my dear friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And thanks to Alea Deo for use of her music opening tonight's show called Awaken, which I think the world is doing finally. I have a lot uh, lot to go, but uh, I think it's happening. I think we can see it. I think we are living in the evolution. I think the world is awakening to the corporate domination, to establishment politics, to the fact things have not always been like this and don't have to continue to be. But we have to flex our muscles if we want it to change. We have people being poisoned in Flint, Michigan, thanks to a callous and corrupt Republican governor. We have people across the country waking up to Bernie Sanders' message of equality and fairness in the rigged system that has most of us treading water or in despair. But, you know, we aren't hopeless and we aren't neutered any longer. No longer are we going to be doormats. We have some hope of getting some fairness in the Supreme Court now that Antony Scalia and his shameful rulings and conflicts of interest are gone. I think people are waking up to many things. You know, we're even having cancer breakthroughs. Uh, We're having political parties being exposed for their corruption. People are starting to talk about breaking up the too-big-to-fail banks, global protests against um, the TPP trade deal, um, you know, uh, wanting the United States to join the rest of the world and using our tax dollars to make the country better for all of us and not just the 1%. So you know what? I am filled with hope tonight. I am a happy camper. And I just arranged a phone banking for Bernie Sanders' party at the Goddess Temple of Orange County in Irvine for February 28th, just in case you're interested in your local Come down on Sunday services, stay for the social hour, then the phone banking begins from about 2 to 5. You know, it'll be fun. I uh, did this before when uh, Sarah Palin hit the scene, uh, when McCain and Palin were running against Obama, and I just thought, oh, i got to do something. I just can't sit home and wring my hands. So I actually uh, went out to uh, one of the campaign offices. They give you a script if you don't know what to say, so you don't have to worry about knowing how to do it. Uh, so that's Sunday, February 28th. And if it goes good, we'll do it again. And you know what? If you're not in the L.A. area and you can't come be with us in the same room doing it, just do it from where you are while we're doing it. We we call that doing it in attunement. Yes, yes, doing it in attunement. Attuning to each other's energy on a common goal. And, you know, you can do it from your own house anytime you like, actually, when you know you're going to have some free time. Yeah, uh, all you do is go to BernieSanders.com. You hit the volunteer button. It will bring you to where you need to go, um, you know, telling you about all the volunteer opportunities in your city. And if you have any problems with that, you know, you can always email me, and I'll uh, walk you through it. And, you know, speaking of Bernie, I wonder if you've heard that both Carol Christ and Starhawk have endorsed him. Yep. Uh, I interviewed Starhawk last week, and uh, I didn't really know where she stood on this. Um, I do know when uh, Hillary was running against Obama, uh, she was for Obama, uh, but I wasn't sure this time around. So, yeah, uh, Starhawk's for Bernie, Carol Christ is for Bernie. 
So food for thought. Uh, if you're th- thinking of uh, uh, being a loyal feminist and voting along gender lines, um, voting for Hillary because they believe they should for the sake of feminism. But, you know, uh, I don't think, uh, as Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, as Susan Sarandon said, uh, you don't have to vote with your nether regions, or or as Susan said, with your vagina. Uh, She was uh, talking metaphorically, of course, but the point is uh, many are blindly voting for the female candidate without really knowing a record. Uh, Bernie is the real progressive feminist in the race, and if you haven't looked into him and the revolution he's leading with us backing him, of course, uh, then check him out before voting comes to your state. I'm totally amazed at the women who have been fighting against the establishment their whole lives lining up alongside Hillary, the establishment candidate. Even Jill Stein from the Green Party is saying she believes in Bernie's economic proposals. So uh, if this is the side uh, you find yourself on uh, at this uh, time in the process, uh, join us in attunement or in person at the Goddess Temple and help us make the world a better place for the most of us. And speaking of the Goddess Temple, I wonder if you know what goes on there. Uh, Saturday afternoons, um, it's open to the public for meditation and viewing the beautiful museum exhibits of Goddess uh, from Paleolithic times to the present. Um, It's open to the public also on Friday. And it's on Friday that they have the Temple's Venus Hour, which is Orange County's best happy hour with libations, snacks, music, movies. You can meet new people, like-minded people. And you know what? It's all free. They don't charge an admission, and uh, they even have refreshments. So, you know, they're happy to take donations, but that's not necessary. So check it out sometime. And if you want more information about how to get there, uh, their website is goddesstempleoc.org. And, you know, there's also Sunday services, rain or shine, 11 a.m. to 12.30. And there's usually a social hour after Sunday services. So you might want to check that out. Um, I'd uh, also like to invite you to go to my Facebook page where I've posted some Day Navigium pictures. Yeah, she might wonder, what in the world is Karen talking about? Well, the annual Festival of Isis that was held in the ancient world the first week of March was one of the rituals my old not-for-profit group used to recreate in a contemporary context every year for almost a decade. In honor of Isis and the Navigatum, uh, which means to navigate, uh, and because I had a stirring dream about Isis last night, I was motivated to post post about 20 pictures from past rituals uh, on my Facebook page. So I hope you'll go there and enjoy seeing them if you haven't already. Uh, They were pretty elaborate affairs, these rituals. Uh, These weren't the kinds of things a couple people throw together in their living room. We had costuming, and Isis was carried on her golden palaquin. Um, We launched ice boats imbued with our prayer in her honor, Uh, props that had people thinking we were actually a Hollywood film crew on the beach. So don't miss it. Uh, Check it out uh, on my Facebook page, and you might have to scroll down a little bit. Uh, You know how that goes, but, uh, but they're there. You shouldn't have any trouble finding them. And tonight, uh, I have a lot to share. Uh, Pat, our roving reporter, has sent in some interesting stuff. 
uh, to share in, in my What's the Buzz segment. I want to be sure you know about a goddess tour to France coming up soon. And uh, tonight's guest, uh, bring some new and exciting topics. Uh, first up, I have Gail Carruthers discussing equine wisdom. Yes, that's horse wisdom for all you equestrians out there or for Epona devotees. Uh, followed by Nadine Newlight uh, discussing restoring gender Equality, certainly an important subject indeed. Uh, but first, uh, just a couple quick commercials because I do have to pay for the airtime. I want to make sure uh, you know about Gloria Amendola's Mysteries of Mary Magdalene and the Divine Feminine Epic Journey Through France. Yes, uh, that is happening May 13th through 21 of this year. Uh, you can join uh, Gloria Amendola, who's an author and intuitive, as she embarks on this epic journey to ancient pilgrimages, uh, pilgrimage sites dedicated to Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, Isis, Joan of Arc, Queen Eleanor of Equitaine, and uh, our Earth Mother herself, Gaia. And throughout the pilgrimage, uh, you'll visit places of profound beauty imbued with Earth energy so valued by the guardians of the Grail. Destinations uh, include places like uh, Lyon, uh, St. Maxim's uh, La Saint-Baume, uh, St. Marie de la Mer, uh, Rennes-le-Chateau, Montségur, Lourdes, Orléans, Chartres, Paris. And uh, the final uh, stop on the, the journey uh, ends in Paris on the night of the full moon. And no doubt uh, there will be something special planned uh, as the journey comes to a close. So for more details on uh, this incredible upcoming tour, you can contact Gloria, who will actually be on the show in a few weeks talking more about the tour. Uh, but Gloria Amendola, uh, spelled just like it sounds, she's on Facebook, or you can find her at her uh, email address, which is holygrailmary at gmail.com. That's holygrailmary at gmail.com. And her website is gloria-amendola.com. And uh, I wonder how long it's been or if you've ever picked up a copy of Sage Woman magazine. Uh, maybe you're new to Sage Woman. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you just uh, haven't seen a copy in a while. Well, you know what? Take advantage of this freebie that they're offering. Uh, you know, Sage Woman has been celebrating the goddess and every woman for over 30 years, and Sage Woman magazine brings the wisdom of women's spirituality to over 10,000 women every 88-page issue. And to get that free sample, you can call their toll-free number, 888-SAGE-WOMAN, that's 888-724-3966. And if you mention this ad, uh, you know, that uh, I am speaking uh, about right now, uh, you can get your free sample. So just uh, tell the folks there at Sage Woman you heard about the free issue on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And uh, you know what? You will um, pretty soon have your free copy. Uh, in the mail. We're not talking about an online copy. Uh, we're talking about a hard copy. Uh, also, too, uh, Joe Carson has some great news. Um, 
there's something new uh, that Joe has going I want to tell you about. You know, for some time on the show, I've described the film uh, Dancing with Gaia by Joe Carson. Well, uh, now Joe has written a book called Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path, which has just come out in a new, expanded second edition. Feriferia calls itself a love culture for wilderness, a fairy fairy connects you to the fairy spirits of the land and stars around you and aims to create paradisal sanctuaries all over the earth. It's rooted in ancient Crete, the Eleusin mysteries, troubadour practices, and megalithic traditions. Feriferia celebrates the goddess as the merry maiden called Kore. With laughter and play, they say Kore carries keys to the future. And Celebrate Wildness is a true hardcover art book. It's printed on heavy paper with images of the goddess, photos, symbols, and diagrams on almost every page. It would make a fabulous gift, and it's available from the org, and that's spelled F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A. And, you know, Joe was kind enough to uh, send me uh, a copy of the book, and I have to tell you, I believe it's a must for everyone's library. It would certainly make a great coffee table book. Um, You know, looking through it, it would uh, certainly spark a very interesting conversation. Uh, Lots of great quality stuff in that book. So, Uh, That about does the business uh, and the housekeeping for now. And um, we're going to get to our first guest, uh, Gail Crothers. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Gail before we start our chat. Gail's the creator of an online podcast series called Spiritual Girlfriend, which is heard in over 50 countries. That's actually where we met, because Gail was kind enough to have me on her show uh, talking about my, uh, my latest books. Uh, she curates and highlights uh, scientific and historical research that supports the energy and mind-body connection to shift of consciousness occurring in our world today. Uh, Gail's a certified uh, equine learning practitioner who uses horses to promote personal exploration of feelings and behavior. I thought that would be such an interesting and fresh topic to bring to listeners tonight, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Gail's also a certified mediator and trainer in alternative dispute resolution with uh, certification in experiential adult education. She's a Reiki 2 uh, Reiki Level 2 practitioner, a certified medium, and an, uh, she does angel guidance, and uh, she's a healing practitioner, and a certified Akashic Records practitioner. And her website, which I'm sure we'll repeat again, but uh, so, so that we get it in at least once, uh, is spiritualgirlfriend.com. So, Gail, uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Karen. I appreciate it. I'd love to be here. Well, I'm so glad uh, that you're with us tonight. I I remember how surprised I was uh, to hear you talk about uh, equine wisdom, and it immediately made me think of the horse whisperer guy, uh, whose name I can't think of right now. Um, But what you're doing, I think, is something totally different. I mean, the horse whisperer is calming the horses down, I think. I mean, he's not actually um, delving into equine wisdom like you are, or, or is he? Why, why don't you explain that? Sure, that's a great, it's a great segue. Um, 
you know, there's a the horse whisperer concept is really I it might have been maybe the beginning of of it and it and then what I do is sort of an extension probably of where that started. And let me just give you a background there in the sense that the horse whispering is really it is about tuning into the language of a horse. Um and in this field, which has really deepened over the last, say, 20, 25 years, um, there's, a, there's a distinction. There's a thing called equine-assisted learning, and then there's a, a modality called equine-facilitated learning. And it, it's, it's very subtle in the difference between assisted and facilitated. But what we've done in the last 20, 25 years, you know, moving, moving on from the horse whisperer, which, which really is about looking at the behavior um, of horses to, to better understand what they're talking about and what they're trying to tell you. Um, and there are lots of modalities out there that, that do that, and, and that would be things like looking at the ears position of a horse or, or the particular stance of a horse or what, what's happening within a herd, um, and it's as opposed to strictly dominating a horse. So a horse whisperer basically takes the time to feel out what's happening with the horse as far as um, without judging a horse's behavior to be automatically negative. They're realizing that the horse is communicating something to you in regards to their environment and what's going on so that you can, you can partner with your horse. What I do and what, what has really developed in the last 25 years is taking that wisdom and expanding it, extending it to a full, deeper spiritual level as, a, as using the horse as a teacher as opposed to simply understanding an individual horse's, um, uh, let's say, temperament with a rider. So, so equine, what I actually do a particular modality called FEEL. That's the, that's the acronym. And it stands for Facilitated Equine Experiential Learning. And it takes equine-assisted learning to a much deeper level. And, and it fits perfectly with me because I do that, like you said, um, mentioned I have a you know I have a podcast series called Spiritual Girlfriend and I and I I teach on this context of how to live your life on a much more spiritual level and what does that you know what does that look like because a lot of people don't you know what does that actually look like and mean and horses are phenomenal at tapping into that because really in my definition spirituality is is going beyond your your simply your five senses you know looking and feeling mm-hmm. and tasting and touching right it's it's delving into that context of the unconscious and tapping into this the part of ourselves that we're not aware of and it's really it's really opening your heart and understanding your body mind connection and all the things that we're really not taught in our in our in our society in our culture right right and horses are phenomenal at teaching us that Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I've seen on television, you know, where they would uh, take, you know, maybe disabled children or children with learning disabilities, Mm -hmm. uh, or even you see in uh, in hospitals, you know, they'll bring animals in and, uh, you know, they they somehow assist in people's healing. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that they were taking it to the level that uh, that you're taking. You know, I wonder if maybe you could give some examples of how using a horse and the equine wisdom that you know how to tap into, how you've actually helped uh, people resolve uh, issues or healing or, you know, whatever the situation might have been. 
Absolutely. And just to preface, like all those modalities that you're referring to, like therapeutic writing or um, um, there's there's all different ways of utilizing the wisdom of a horse, and they're all they're all equally um, awesome. Like they're all equally have their place. They just do different things. It's just like a human, right? You can we can, we can multi we can we have multiple uh, you know skills or or gifts. Gifts is the wrong mm-hmm. word, but skills. Mm-hmm. So all those different modalities are simply tapping into the horse on a different level. In the particular instance that I'm referring to, which our my particular modality is called feel. Um, let me. I'm just going to back up for a minute and go why we use horses to begin with. Okay. And the reason we use, and then I'm going to segue into some examples. The reason we use horses and why horses are so fundamentally um, perfect for this work is because they're a prey. First of all, they're a prey animal, meaning they are preyed upon. They are not a predator. So right. unlike a human or a dog or a cat. Um, because they are a preyed upon animal, they their sensibility, like their ability to be sensitive, they're an extremely sensitive animal, and they have to be because that's how they monitor their environment. Yeah, so that's how they survive. To, that's how they survive, right? So they are highly attuned sensitivity-wise, evolved over millions and millions of years. So that in itself is is part of their their they. Um, their ability is that they read energy. That's the wisdom of a horse. And what is it about humans? Well, humans are have emotions, and emotions are nothing but energy. That's what they are. So a horse, this is where the big misconception about, about horses are. You know, there'll, there'll be riders out there who will be like, you know, horse owners, oh, this, this horse is, is miserable, or this horse has got a bad attitude, or this horse is just, you know, doesn't like me. Horses have no opinion about you one way or the other. All they're doing is reading your energy. That's how they survive. So there's a lot of projection that we do onto our, onto the, onto our horses, onto our animals, okay. per, 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 you know, period. But we project onto these horses what we think is happening, and the horse is simply reading our energy. So here's an example. If I'm, I've had a busy day, and I've got a, you know, I'm, I'm going to go horseback riding. I've got a scheduled horse I'm training. I'm training a horse, or I'm uh, I'm taking um, lessons, or I'm doing my rider levels, and I rush to the barn, and I I'm not in my mind, right? Like I'm sorry. What I mean by that is I'm not being mindful. I'm not my mind and my body are not connected. I'm, You're I'm scattered. About, yeah, I'm distracted. Yeah, perfect word. I'm distracted. I'm not mindful. I'm scattered. That that energy is that energy feels exactly that to the horse. It's static. It feels mm-hmm. disconnected. So the horse starts to shy. They maybe they're not lifting their hoofs as well to be cleaned. Maybe they're skittish in the in the in the cross ties. Maybe they're just you know they're off. They feel off. They're mirroring you. They're mirroring your energy. That's what's going on. So all that behavior that is deemed inappropriate, or they're um, they're just being you know they're being a goof, or they're they're not listening, or they're you know you, or you just you know you know all those terms that we use. You have to stop and look at yourself. You have to ground yourself, breathe, ex, you know, ex, ex, exhale, ground yourself and go, okay, this isn't about the horse. The horse is telling me that he is not comfortable in my space. He is not comfortable with my energy that I am projecting to him right now. And people will okay. be like, no, the horse is just, you know, the horse is just being an it. It's like, well, you got to really, there are problem horses, 
But that's what the horse whisperer was. You know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when they were talking about Monty Roberts was one of the very first horse whisperers out there. He's saying the horse doesn't have a problem, you do. Yeah, I mean, I seem to recall when, you know, that uh, all of that came out, it was usually not the horse. He would usually find that the problem was with the horse's human uh, caretaker right. or so owner. His point was the horse doesn't have a problem. The horse has a human problem, not the human has a horse problem. Right. And the horse is trying to communicate to you, but you're not listening. First of all, you don't understand their language, and second of all, you're not. You're too busy to listen. You're you're mm-hmm. busy dominating this particular animal into submission. Well, that's just not what you know. Horses will be submit. That that they that's what they've been bred to do for thousands and thousands of years to to be submitted to the will of a human. But there you are. You are wasting the wisdom of a horse that is right in front of you. And ideally, what's going to go on is they're going to mirror your your energy. That's what a horse does. That's how it survives. Okay. So when I'm doing equine learning, I'm going to jump into um, why we um, why we use horses and, and the fact that the, the other thing about a, about why horses is there's an electromagnetic field around a horse. As a, you know, as every human, every living thing has an electromagnetic field. Well, the, the electromagnetic field around a horse is five times stronger than ours, than any other animal. It's five times stronger than humans. And their heart rate is three times slower. So they're much more, that's what I mean by the sensitivity, so they can mm-hmm. detect energy five, you know, you know, at a radius five times longer than ours. And most humans, we have the ability to be stronger than we are, but we're, most of us aren't paying attention to our electromagnetic field, right? It's, we're not sensitive enough to our own field. So they live, horses live in a natural state of heart coherence. They are very much in their heart space. That's why sometimes just being near a horse actually re- literally scientifically reduces your own heart rate. It can. Okay. So the wisdom of a horse is when I do, let's say, my equine learning or equine facilitated learning, you're using, I'm actually learning using the horse as a teacher. There are other modalities out there that use it. It's more like the horse is more assisting the particular facilitator. Whereas for when I'm when I'm doing a, a session with a client, the horse is the teacher. I'm simply communicating. I'm almost translating for the horse. But the horse, okay. the horse is the teacher. The horse is absolutely the teacher. And here's an example. So I would go out and I would use my. I have a herd. I would go out and I would use a herd of of animals of of horses. Um. You mean like in a corral someplace? Yes. So there's lots of ways that you can do this. You know, you can do one-on-one, you can do in a herd. This is just one particular um, exercise. We can go out into the the paddock, and uh, when a horse lies down, it's a very vulnerable position for a horse uh, from a... a, um, from a prey position because it ha- it takes too much time to get up if it has to flee from a cougar or something that's, that's about to pounce on it. So mm-hmm. lying down is very vulnerable. So you read that. So a horse, if you're into a paddock and, a, and you're doing a, a, a session and the horse knows it's working, you know, if a horse is to be lying down, I'm reading that as, okay, there's something going on with this client that is, what do we need to, what do we need to be vulnerable about? So I did this one particular session with a client, and it was really interesting because at the same time I had a horse going into the um, 
the, the, the what do you call it, the run-in. Like, it's like a shed, you know, the, the run-in shed to, gives you off, helps the horse stay away from rain and sun. Mm-hmm. Um, while the other horse, the second horse was also lying down at the same time. So right away I'm like, okay, these horses are trying to tell me that, right away I'm clicking into these horses that they're telling me she's hiding something that she's feeling very vulnerable about. Because this particular horse went into the run-in. And that just looks like a horse is lying down. It looks like a horse went into the run-in. But this, these horses, this is what they do. They know their job. So I so I, I simply read I read my I read my teachers and I say to my clients so is I simply ask her is there something going on these horses are telling you that you're feeling extremely vulnerable right now and there's something that you need to hide and they're telling you that you need you need to resolve this this whatever this issue is you need to resolve so and, Gail let me inter- Gail let me interrupt you yep. um, so you picked that up intuitively in your mind. Or was it also these visual cues that one was laying down and you said just one ran into the shed? I mean, that sounds like such, you know, such a common sort of thing. Um, You know, maybe somebody listening would say, well, you know, why attach so much significance to it? Uh, Well, that's just about what I'm about to say. Okay. Right. And, 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 And that's what I was saying. It looks very mundane. And I'm going to get to why... I'm going to get to it, to that in a second, but as I said to my client, the horse, I'm doing it both. I'm I'm simply reading their their um, I'm reading their actions, but I'm also listening to them. And this is their way of showing my client something's going on. So I say to her, "Look, they're telling me that you're hiding something that you're feeling extremely vulnerable about that you need to resolve." And this, does that resonate with you? And you know, she immediately says you know, well, yes, like she's kind of flabbergasted and she says, oh, my God, yes, I'm hiding debt from my husband and I don't know what to do about it. I actually am panicking about this. So I'm like, okay, so then that that comes up. So because the horses know exactly because it's an emotion. They mm-hmm. can read the fact that she's scared. They can read the fact that she's, they can read every emotion she's carrying and they can reflect, they are mirrors. They simply reflect it back to you so when you're working with horses in this modality, they will they basically act it out. They basically will say, in this particular situation, they can demonstrate to you this is what you need to deal with in this particular situation. So but are there's you other saying situations. That, go ahead. Just just a second. Let me let me get a word in edgewise sometimes here. Um is is so or or is what you're saying um, I mean, can you can you do this sort of read on any horses, or are they particular horses known to you? Going into a, a, a horse cold would be difficult, only because there's a, as an example, going into a, a stable that is used for lesson horses. I wouldn't use a horse right off the cuff. Any horse can do this work, but it would need to be taken out of that environment for a while put back into a herd and allowed to be a horse again um, without without because the horse's whole thing here is that they're they have um, what's the word I want to say here they're a partner so they they can work or they don't have they have choice is what I'm trying to say I wouldn't okay. I could use any horse I could use any horse but I would if a horse is doing something that they rep- repetitively, as say a, a lesson horse, it would need to be taken out of that out of that job for a while, and then 
given that choice and allowed to sort of, you know, reintegrate into just a, a, a different type of lifestyle for a bit, and then I would use the horse. I wouldn't just walk in to grab a lesson horse and use it because it, okay. it wouldn't know what I was doing. So these so, two horses that you were just referring to that, you know, tipped you off to the woman, um, you know, who was stressed out because she was hiding the debt from her husband, um, or were these your horses or just horses that you're very familiar with? Or, uh, I mean, are these horses that you use all the time? Or, um, they're horses that I, I use all the time, yes. Okay. They're okay. Horse, yeah, they're, they're horses that I'm familiar with that I use all the time. Absolutely. They're not just horses, random horses that I, um, like I said, I could, but you would have to work with them for a bit. You'd have to get to know the horse. Mm-hmm. Every horse mm-hmm. is different. Every horse is different. So okay. the, the biggest, on a spiritual level, though, really, the biggest lesson here for using this modality is the ability to to do what we call them heart connections. And that's really being able to, we, we say to them when we, we work, when I work with people, this is really about, that's, just, that's an off-the-cuff example that I was just giving you, but the real work is when we ask our clients to really just, to drum down into their hearts. Like get into their, we have three three brains in your body. You've got a brain in your head, in your heart, and in your gut. If you go to the HeartMath Institute, it's very scientifically proven that the neuropeptides, the neurons that are in your brain are also in your gut and they're also in your in your heart. So when you have those heart, you know, those gut instinct or you, or you feel that pain in your heart, that's real. That's that, Those are real that's the same thing going on in those two those two organs as it is in your brain. Right. So, right. Well, and, and, you know, I don't want to overthink this or underthink this, but I guess I'm just wondering, how does this session come about? I mean, is it just coincidence, like with this woman? I mean, was she there as, a, you know, an equestrian or something, and this sort of just um, spilled out by accident, or did she come to you for counseling and you were using the horses as part of the counseling? I guess uh, I, I'm just sort of wondering how the pieces all fit together. Sure, it's a great question. I, counseling, I don't counsel, but I do readings. So it was part of, um, and this is just an extension of a reading, so instead of using, instead of using, um, say cards or or um, a channeling. I, I'll I'll say, hey, let's. Do you want to go work with the horses? And she's like, yeah, I'd love to work with the horses. I've never done this, so I would. That's what we did. We went into, we went into the, into the paddock and worked with the horses. Um, okay. It's it, it's as another example. I was working with another woman, and again, it was sort of that idea. Like, let's go work with the horses today. Um, and she was working through, I put her through an obstacle course, and she's just working with one particular horse, and I said, and I don't, like, the beauty of this is I don't even have to know what the problem is. Like, we didn't go into any, this isn't psychotherapy, so I'm not asking her to give me details. I'm just pointing out some things and then letting her kind of realize, okay, this is, this is what I need to work, let's work on some, how do I resolve this? And then the horses are going to help her actually figure out some, some ways of doing that, and as an example, I did an obstacle course with another client, and I said, "Okay, give me you, in your own mind. You've got three goals. You know, we write down three goals, and um, and the horse is going to help as she's going through her obstacle course. I talk to the horse and I tell the horse, with the you know, this is what her goals are. This is what she wants to do, and the horse is just it's amazing what 
as she's going through her obstacle course, how the horse reacts to um, her goals. So at one particular goal, she, the horse wouldn't go over the obstacle course. The horse kept going around, and she allowed the horse to go around. So I'm like, okay, well, what does that tell you? So the horse is basically saying, if you're not going to put the effort in to do that goal, well, you're going to slide around it. So hmm. I'm like, okay, then, you know, what do you need to do to accomplish that goal? She says, yeah, I know. I, 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 have, to, I have to focus and take this horse. It was just basically walking over a beam. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need to put the effort into making it right. So the horse is telling you, because she can, she can sense right now when you, when you get to this goal, you know, your energy changes. And as soon as you come up to that goal, which is the, you know, the equivalent, in, you know, it's just a, an equivalent of the goal, but it's a representation of the goal, you, your energy changes and you drop when you get to that goal. She's telling you that's what's happening. So if you really so want to accomplish that goal, So it's almost as to. if um, you, you're playing out patterns, I guess, in a way. You know, um, the, you know, you're playing out a pattern that the horse picks up and tips you off to that uh, is actually happening, um, you know, in other phases of one's life. They're reading your energy. Is what the okay. horse is doing, and and okay. that's that's the bottom line. Is they're reading your energy to on things that we're not, we're either not conscious of or we're not willing to look at. Okay. You know, we're so well, busy that we're not yeah. paying attention to a lot of what's going on in our lives, and then we don't understand why our lives aren't working out. And, and the horses are trying to tell you, well, because you're not really you're not really working at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It, it, that, it, it's so interesting. I remember when we talked last, um, somehow, uh, and I'm trying to remember the connection we made, but uh, I remember I brought up the book uh, Black Beauty that I read, uh, you know, that I read as a young woman and, um, and, you know, told from the viewpoint of the horse, you know, and all the trials and tribulations the horse went through with all of his human um, masters, I guess. Uh, you know, you might call it, and um, I mean, what a what a beloved uh, what a beloved book. I mean, it, I I think that that uh, the popularity of that book maybe um, was a reflection of how um, people see horses. Do you think that's because horses? I think you said earlier horses are coming from a heart space. They very much come from a heart space. That's horses are. They live in congruency, and that's that's another reason why horses can be seen as um, misbehaving. Because if you are coming and working with a horse and you're not congruent, what I mean by that is you have a smile on your face, but you're you know you're raging angry inside. Mm-hmm. That's inc- you're being incongruent. The horse mm-hmm. feels that they they absolutely know that you're not being authentic, and that feels off to them. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. off. So the horse now, so suddenly you're, you know, you're styling your horse up and you're going for a ride, and you're like, what's wrong with my horse? She's off today. She's just, mm-hmm. you know, she's. That's because you're off, and the horse is yeah. asking you to ground your, like, get back into your body. But we're not listening because we don't understand that the horses are actually reading us. They're right. actually. I just saw something on Facebook the other day about saying, oh, it's scientifically proven that horses can read facial expressions and i'm like what they're reading is your energy Mm -hmm. they're not reading that your face is necessarily angry they're reading that your body is angry 
Right, right. But we still don't talk in language of energy, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's very foreign to some people. I mean, I can, you know, now it's normal to me, but I remember before I got involved with goddess spirituality um, my entire life, I mean, you know, I'd gone through the first 30 years of my life without ever referencing energy, you know. Uh, I, I think some people just uh, don't have a clue about it. You know, they really they, they really don't, you know, about their own or anybody else's or um, you know, the many different um, variations, you know, of energy. But um, I, I think you say that uh, horse wisdom helps us lead our best lives. What do you mean by that? Partly by what I was just saying about congruency. Like, if they help us be mindful. When you mm-hmm. learn the wisdom of a horse and you actually start to delve into some of this wisdom of the horses, because they, they remind us constantly to, to live in the moment um, when a horse, you know, let's say it gets chased by a cougar, it doesn't, it, it, it runs away, and then when when it's out of danger, it goes back to grazing. It doesn't go back to the herd and go, oh, my God, did you see the size of that saber tooth? Holy crap. <laughs> and it, you know, and it doesn't spend the next three days reminiscing, like going over every detail about that incident. It goes, it goes immediately back to grazing. <laughs> immediately to grazing. I like that. <laughs> it does not worry about what just happened. It's it it it's over. It's done with. It's done. It's gone. Yeah. So they they live in the moment constantly. They're vigilant about what's going on. They're very aware of what's going on in their environment, but they don't blame the tiger or the cheetah. Mm-hmm. Or I don't even know what 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 would naturally attack it. A cougar, let's say. They don't blame the cougar. That's just the cougar's natural. They don't take it right. personally. Is what I'm trying to say. Right. Right, right, and they don't, right. and they don't go on about it for days. They don't go back okay. to the herd and go, "Holy crap!" You know. Okay. Um, and I, I think, um, well, you say women are attracted to horses, um, or, or, or you, I mean, why is that? I mean, more so than men. It was some women are. If you go looking at, it's funny because if you look at the. Um, the rodeo world, it's it's it, there's a lot of men in the rodeo world, but if you look at schooling um on the equestrian side if you go to the schooling shows it's all girls it's all little girls it's it's little girls everywhere and it's and if if you start to looking closely at adult lessons you'll see a lot of 50 year old like you know middle-aged women 40 45 50 55 year old women going back to riding and women are much more attracted to horses than like i'm not saying the, the boys are are attracted to like the cowboy side mm-hmm. um but little girls definitely have a, a much more let's say percentage popular or affinity to horses and it's it's along the context of the dominant like they both we both share a history of being dominated by by men <laughs> so yeah. there's that shared history of we understand that same you know misunderstood our energy's not being listened to, um, being being dominated. Women so have been dominated. It's like their I mean, girlfriends. <laughs> it's like their girlfriends, yeah. You know, we talked about this on my show, right? Right, right. The history of women and, and, and how that has played out for millenniums. Yeah. And it's very similar story to horses. So I, on a subconscious level, I don't even think most women even realize it, they're sharing that level of, understanding and there's that there's we 
it's like we it's like we get each other to a degree. Yeah, yeah, there's a re- relational uh, thing. Well, and I wonder, too, I mean, this might sound like a sexist thing to say, and I don't mean it that way. I, I'm just sort of, you know, thinking out loud. But in general, of course, not always, you know, because there are some callous and insensitive and women out there who are not very mindful. But I think maybe women tend to be in their hearts space maybe a little bit more than men because men, I think, are more cut off from their emotions. Um, could that be part of it, too? For sure, because this is all about emotions, and it's the fact that, first of all, we're not really allowed to have a lot of emotions in our culture. We're only allowed a few of them, right? You know, joy, mm-hmm. happiness, a little bit of sadness, but it's very limited. You know, so it's, it's your time on how much time you can grieve and mm-hmm. how long you can be sad. Um, and women women are allowed a little bit more of our emotions than men are. Right. So, just just culturally first of all you know like i said we don't we don't allow a lot of emotions in our culture and the ones that we do ha- we do allow women are allowed to have them a little bit more than men are right so right, it, right. when you're around a horse and it's all about emotions it's 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 really a foreign language to us because we don't even understand our own emotions and yeah, that's what yeah. the horses are actually mirroring us mirroring yeah. us I, I I get that. Well, this has been really interesting, and you know, I, I wonder since you're so close to, uh, you know, horses and are working with them so closely, uh, I'm just curious if you've ever looked into the uh, Celtic goddess Epona. No, I don't even. Sorry, I don't know what that is. Uh, well, you know, maybe maybe that uh, would be of interest to you. Uh, there's a. Uh, there's and, and I'm not an expert on Celtic goddesses, I have to admit, but uh, Epona, E-P-O-N-A, um, she's a Celtic goddess, and uh, she is often associated with horses. I, I don't know if they're like her avatar or she takes the form of a horse sometimes. I don't know her whole story. Uh, but as far as I know, she's like one of the only goddesses that might be um, – well, except for maybe maybe Amaterasu, I know she's um, one of her legends. Is she has a white horse? But uh, I, I just thought I'd throw it out there. It might be uh, you know an interesting avenue for you to you know delve down uh, sometime. You know, since uh, horses play such a big part in your life. Absolutely, no. I appreciate that. I have heard of other people who have um, their practices called Epona, but I didn't know the connection. Okay. Well, um, so is there anything else, Gail, um, that uh, maybe I ha- I've failed to ask you that, uh, you know, you'd like to say about, um, you know, the equine wisdom? You know, it's just that the, the biggest thing about equine wisdom is for sure that it really does connect you to your heart and it gets you into your heart space and it gets you into a place of really connecting to yourself first and 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 allowing you to really connect to what you're feeling. And it really is getting yourself in tune. And that's really what the wisdom of the horse does, is it slows us down and puts us back into congruency with our own selves. And, if okay. it, you know, if I would just highly recommend anybody being able to, even if you don't have a practitioner near you, if you, you know, just being in the presence of horses helps us to be very, very aware of of. Just our environment, right? Brings us back yeah. to that mindfulness. Yeah, and I mean, and that's imp- that's an important thing for all of us, you know, uh, because we're so busy and we're distracted and we're disconnected. 
um, you know, maybe we even are worried about the wrong things, and uh, you know, we get unbalanced, we get out of uh, out of joint, out of sync, and it's uh, it, I, what you're saying almost reminds me on some level of um, you know almost a uh, it 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 sort of puts us in a meditative state, you know, uh, maybe connecting with our higher self or. Uh, something like that. It absolutely, it absolutely helps you connect to your higher self. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Absolutely. So um, I know. Well, it, uh, I bef- yeah. well before I, I let you go, uh, did you want to say anything about your uh, spiritual girlfriend show? Oh sure. Well, thank you. Um, sure. You can uh, reach me at spiritualgirlfriend.com, um, and you can click through to my shows um, from my from my homepage. So okay. I appreciate that. And you can find me on Facebook, again, under Spiritual Girlfriend. So, right. um, yeah, you can find my archives of shows uh, by clicking on through spiritualgirlfriend.com. And and you more or less have uh, different women's issues uh, that you cover? I do a lot of, I, right, yes. I I've actually do a lot right now on um, ancient wisdom. I have a series on ancient wisdom, a series on, on worthiness, and I'm starting one on courage. So I've been doing a lot of curated shows lately. There's a there's a whole year behind that of archive shows on on different topics as well. Um, uh, I can't even think of them right now. But yeah, it's 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 empowerment, right? It's 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 understanding right, right. ourselves as spiritual beings. Yeah. Um, and and really understanding sometimes you know some of our shows are just like the ancient wisdom. Of what's 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 the ancient wisdom in our bodies and culturally about ourselves and it's really connecting ourselves to our higher selves and how do we do that and what does it look like and what does it feel like so different important shows along stuff. those places yeah the important stuff really what yeah, how to live yeah. a life and what does it mean yeah and yeah i mean i i think it's important because um you know it, it, i guess what it would for me when i hear you talk about that it what it boils down to is um, what are we here for? You know, um, why? You know, I, I don't think we were put on this earth to just toil uh, and and go to work and pay bills and be consumers for capitalist society. You know, uh, I, you know, I think there's more to it than that. And um, I think some people never take the time to even give it a second thought. And uh, what is that saying about the unexamined life is not worth living or something like that? So I think so that's I think, exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and you're encouraging people to do just that. So, well, Gail, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for being on the show tonight and sharing this very interesting topic with listeners. And, again, thank you for inviting me on your show. I'm glad we were able to uh, do this uh, reciprocal exchange. My pleasure. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks again, Karen. Oh, you're welcome. And good luck with uh, all the work you're doing, too. Bye-bye. Thank you. You, too. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, we are crossing the threshold. That's what that uh, sound means. We are crossing the threshold into the second part of the show. Uh, As I wait for uh, Nadine to come on the switchboard, I have some 
things to ask you and things to share with you. And um, I wonder, um, how did you first hear about me, Reverend Dr. Karen Tate? Um, You know, when I ask students and fans and colleagues uh, where they first heard about my work, uh, inevitably, you know, some might say my books or maybe they caught me on YouTube or the show right here. Uh, Some mention seeing my posts on social media because I'm pretty prolific there as well. Uh, But, you know, there is one answer that I uh, hear most often, and that is uh, they've heard me speak someplace at a live event. Um, I've actually gotten pretty good at it. You know, there was a time when I uh, was too shy to even speak aloud in public, but that has drastically changed, hasn't it? (laughs) But, yeah, they've maybe heard me at an expo or the Council for the Parliament of World Religions or uh, a fair or a conference or a you know, a church congregation or all of these different places that I've talked uh, talked at. Or um, I was in the film, Femme, Women Healing the World. And anyway, um, I, you know, I just wanted to say to you, my dear listeners, uh, while I do receive invitations to speak from community leaders, most of the invitations actually originate from suggestions or requests from friends and fans and students. So um, I want to put it out there um, because I would like to uh, spread the word of some of my work. If you can suggest or facilitate a connection with an upcoming event or group where I might be an appropriate speaker or perhaps you might be interested in, uh, you know, chatting about uh, my giving a talk uh, or a workshop to your community, you know, please get in touch with me. And just some of the topics that uh, my talks uh, are on are women's issues, uh, social justice and partnership, sacred feminine liberation theology, uh, the art of pilgrimage and sacred travel, living a goddess-inspired life, uh, goddess as deity archetype and ideal, the divine feminine for a sustainable future. Yeah, those are some of them, and there's more listed on my website. But, you know, I'm always looking for new audiences and venues where I can share news of women's issues and partnership and the sacred feminine and goddess culture. So, um You know, I'd also like to make the public aware of uh, my availability as as a life coach uh, and spiritual counselor, and I'm also a ritualist, uh, helping people create ceremonies to celebrate your important life passages. Those were sort of things I didn't talk about too much. You know, I really sort of just, uh, you know, helped people by word of mouth, but, um, uh, you know, I've had really good feedback, and uh, I feel called this year to make that uh, available to more people and be more public about it. So um, I hope you'll consider inviting me to speak to your group or congregation uh, on creating a new normal in the coming paradigm shift or goddess culture or any of the things uh, that I've just described, or maybe you even have an idea that I haven't thought of. So uh, you can get in touch with me, um, and we can talk about it. You can go to my website, karentate.com, look at some of the other uh, talks that I have uh, listed there. That's, uh, you know, that's also another possibility. And maybe you remember that sound. If you're new to the show, maybe not. If you're uh, an old, uh, old listener, you know that's uh, 
That's the sound for my What's the Buzz segment. And I want to thank uh, my roving reporter, Pat, uh, for sending in these uh, things for me to share with you in my What's the Buzz segment. And um, the first one Pat sent is, did you know that boosting breastfeeding worldwide could save 800,000 lives? Well, according to a study in The Lancet, if nearly all women worldwide breastfed their infants and young children, there would be 800,000 fewer children's deaths. That's a 13% reduction in death of children under the age of two years old. Additionally, there would be 20,000 fewer breast cancer deaths a year. Current breastfeeding practices cost the world economy hundreds of billions of dollars a year, The benefits would occur in all countries, rich and poor alike. Also, benefits of breastfeeding include a lower risk of sudden infant death in high-income countries by a third. It would prevent nearly all cases of diarrhea and a third of respiratory infections in low- and middle-income countries. It reportedly boosts children's intelligence and may protect them against obesity and diabetes later in life. Long-term breastfeeding reduces risk of breast and ovarian cancer in women who breastfeed. And reasons for low breastfeeding rates, especially in high-income countries, include poor promotion and support and uh, aggressive marketing of infant formulas. It would seem that such a simple thing uh, that does so much good and which can save so many lives and so much money should be achievable. So we need to remember what the primary role of the breast is, and that's growing healthy babies. And uh, the other uh, the other uh, comments, uh, the roving reporter, Pat, who I love dearly, has sent to us, um, blood in the streets, uh, coping with menstruation while homeless. This is an interesting story um, and something we don't stop and think about. Here in the United States, many low-income women and girls share a similar struggle, especially those who are experiencing homelessness. The inability to afford tampons or pads or to access hygiene facilities can severely compromise women's health, productivity, and dignity. In San Francisco, where a combination of rapid economic growth and sweeping gentrification has left a trail of collateral devastation, there's a new approach called Lava May. Retired muni buses are turned into sky-blue mobile oasises of clean, safe showers, sinks, and toilets. The buses stop near other services, service providers for things like medical assistance and meals. Um, you can find more about this at ConsciousPeriod.com, ConsciousPeriod.com. A new Los Angeles-based organic tampon company uh, has actually donated care packages for more than 50 women, a month's supply uh, of menstrual pads to these uh, women. Not a whole lot of women, but it's a start. Several women remarked on the expensive tampons, impossible for the homeless to afford. A box wouldn't fit in a duffel bag in any event, so they only have a few on hand at any time and rely on any extras to spare at shelters and meal programs. And a tip to those who make donations, 
panty liners, please. They go a long way in helping keep underwear as clean as possible during a period. So please consider sending a few packages of tampons, pads, and panty liners to your local shelter or meal program. A small gift goes a long way in helping women in the toughest of circumstances maintain their dignity and health. And Pat says her 59-year-old sister was homeless for a year, and panty liners were indeed a lifesaver. And that's actually uh, something that uh, Pat gleaned from the Huffington Post and uh, uh, from a larger, uh, more detailed article called Blood in the Streets. Uh, I'm sure you could find it if you want to read more. And, you know, if... um, This is one of those great things that if you're looking to make a difference and you're just one person or maybe you're a small group, um, you know, uh, stop and think about this. This would be something you could do without a lot of uh, huge investment, without, uh, you know, in time or money, uh, you know, give these sorts of um, items, the panty liners, the tampons, the pads to these local shelters or meal programs and uh, you know, just pay it forward. You know, help help other women. And the final story from Pat, the roving reporter for Voices of the Sacred Feminine. She says, um, "Want to make your business better? Add women." Well, Valerie Keller, head of the Ernst and Young Beacon Institute, predicted a rise in the application of historical feminine traits in what was traditionally been more of a masculine field. Qualities often associated with women more than men, like favoring collaboration over competition, may end up helping companies more in the long run. That And here's her quote. She says, that idea that we're up to something besides attacking the other is actually able to mobilize talent, drive innovation, and drive transformation, she said. So the historical things uh, that business want more of. So anyway, uh, if you want to read more about that article, about um, uh, women's traits actually becoming valued in the workplace, it's about time, wouldn't you say? Uh, that's from another Huffington Post piece called Female Executive Leadership, uh, and uh, you could find that and uh, and read that as well. And that was uh, online. I think it uh, went live on the 22nd of January, so just a couple weeks ago. So thank you. Thank you, Pat, for your roving reporting work. Uh, for Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I really appreciate your help uh, to share these interesting tidbits for listeners. And um, just a reminder to everyone out there, uh, the great she, she is challenging us to do what's right for the most of us, for the sake of humanity and the planet. Yes, indeedy, she is. And uh, we're rising to the occasion. So I see my second guest is patiently waiting on the switchboard, and I'm going to say hello uh, right after I introduce her to you. Uh, I've already told you we're going to be talking about uh, the important topic of restoring gender equity. Uh, And uh, my guest is Nadine Newlight, a native New Yorker. Uh, She started performing at age three. Uh, After her studies, she taught science for seven years. She managed trilingual international tour groups for 14 years and launched successful entrepreneurial ventures in fashion, including Paris for four years, one of my favorite places, Um, performing in 19 countries, um, 
well, well, her entrepreneurial ventures were in fashion in Paris, uh, performing uh, 19... I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused here. She was doing a food thing in Hong Kong and academia in Maui. Uh, we'll have to get her to explain, but uh, she took early retirement in 2008 and has been lecturing on the topic of her forthcoming book, Our Future is Female, How Women and Men Will Save the World. So, uh, Nadine, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Aloha. Thank you so much, Karen. And, Nadine, um, would you like me to uh, call you Nadine or uh, by your... Actually, uh, everyone calls me Naya, which is my Hawaiian name, and it means dolphin. Okay, okay, wonderful. You know, I I, did, I hadn't actually heard it spoken. I only saw it written, so I wasn't sure uh, exactly how to pronounce it. So thank you for that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your bio here. I was a little bit confused. Yes, well, I have lived in most places in the world, <laughs> and I've also been in many professions, and I did have a um, one-woman show cabaret act that I toured around the world for five years with, and I performed in 19 countries. That's what the 19 countries was referring to, including um, Iraq, including um, pretty exotic ones, Every Coast, uh, Canada, just uh, many places. So I was a traveler, and I've lived all over the world as well. I I had my own business uh, importing organic produce into Hong Kong, back in the day before the handover, <laughs> wow. and uh, had a business, one of the first uh, retro and vintage fashion businesses in Paris in the 70s, and well, um, then I, I, I taught when I was very young, I taught in New York for seven years, and then I became a principal on Maui, which is the position from which I retired in '08. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, you've had so many. Uh, it's it's like you've you've uh, reinvented yourself so many times. Uh, you've lived uh, so many different lives, um, so many different businesses. Um, do you have a secret for how you managed all that? I I would say it has to be go with the flow. Be open to new opportunities. Be willing to use your talents and. Um, also be open to learning languages. That's a tough one for most Americans. I wasn't sure. good at it in school, but once I went abroad, I was really good at it. Okay, okay. Well, and you and I, uh, we met at the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference last yes. year. And uh, I, you enjoyed yourself there? It was phenomenal. And amongst my, the best experiences, for sure, were the two uh, seminars I did with you. Oh well, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. Well, that, that's you know that's um, you know does my heart good. Thank you so much. That was so sweet. And uh, I'm I'm so glad uh, that you suggested uh, this talk because uh, it is so important that we restore uh, gender equity. Um, you know, women have uh, you know have gotten the short end of the stick. Uh, you know, for a really long time. And um, you know, I can't imagine that there are a lot of people out there that don't know what gender equity is, but just, you know, let's say maybe it's the first time somebody's heard the term. How would you define gender inequity? Uh, oh, gender inequity. I was getting ready to define gender equity. Gender oh, inequity either one, is either one. I would say gender inequity is the preconceived notion that one gender is inherently superior or inferior than the other one. 
Yeah. And I think our society is organized to reinforce that feeling. At least I, I was born in the 40s. I'm an old lady. So I definitely grew up with women's being, to coin a phrase, the second sex. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the 60s that we recognized that that's not really the case. And it wasn't until I retired that I discovered a whole new world out there that I had missed by living abroad about what happened in prehistory and how we actually ran the planet correctly. <laughs> not like now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, but, but you know, um, Naya, I, there's so many people who don't even realize this yet. You know, whether we're talking about the people that don't even um, know what gender inequity is. And, you know, and, and, I, and I say this, I, I say this from the heart. I have a dear friend who lives in Louisiana. We grew up together. We went to school together. She's one of these women that, you know, I can pick up the phone tomorrow and it will be like we were never apart. You know, it was one of those really tight, you know, close girlfriend kinds of things. She'd be there in a second if I needed her. But, you know, living down in the South, these women, a lot of them, I think they, and my friend is one, and that's, you know, where, you know, why I sort of started the conversation that way. You know, they're living in their bubble. And I remember when I was in that bubble, we didn't hear anything about gender inequity. We just accepted everything as normal and the way it is. And I don't even think we were conscious that we were the second sex. I mean, was it like that? I mean, you you mentioned living abroad. Was it different living abroad? Did women have more rights, or were women the second sex even living abroad? Well, I have many different experiences of living abroad. So if you're speaking about Paris in the 70s, um, I would say that, French women were definitely considered the second sex. Uh, They were, because of the culture, expected to speak in little high voices like this. This is how French women spoke in the 70s. You didn't want to make too much noise because you didn't want to take up too much space. And they were completely in charge of the children. And they might have had a nanny, but the husband in the house never would uh, take part in any child care or cleaning or anything like that. And this mm-hmm. is the 70s, mind you. And yeah. also, um, the male was accept it was acceptable for the men to have affairs, but not for the women. Hmm. It was understood that French husbands have affairs. That's just the way things are. How is it now? Is it has has that changed any? I I can't tell you because I live on Maui now. (laughs) So for me to speak about what's going on in France, I wouldn't even try. Okay. Well, you know, I thought, you know, you might still have girlfriends that uh, can tell you how it's changed or how it's still the same. But uh, Well, actually, um, the girlfriends that I have were not part of that system. (laughs) They kind of bucked that system. Yeah. So um, I don't think they would give me an objective viewpoint. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but, you know, getting to this idea of, um, you know, the fact that some people aren't even aware of it, um, you know, I recall speaking to a lovely woman um, in in Texas, uh, and now this was after I had already left Louisiana and had been in California for a while and, and sort of got a clue and understood how far behind I was, uh, you know, having lived in Louisiana, <clears throat> but I was starting to get with it. And uh, I interviewed this woman from Texas, lovely woman, and I'll never forget, she told me that, um, you know, it was a church group she belonged to, and um, uh, the, the ladies couldn't wait until the minister came to their coffee clutch 
uh, because they had such good ideas that they wanted to uh, bring to the community. And if he liked them, maybe they'd get a chance to do them. And, you know, I wanted to, like, shake her and say, why do you need his approval, (laughs) you know? I mean, it was like she was like a child, and I don't even think she heard herself, you know. Um, It was just such the norm, and I I think a lot of women are still sort of in that place, either – because they choose to be, I think there's some women who choose to be there. They consciously, you know, prefer that. But I think some of them um, just aren't aware of the inequity still today. I mean, do, do you agree or? Absolutely. When you grow up in a culture, it's really difficult unless you're an anthropologist or a sociologist to see that culture from the outside. You know, it's like a child who is told that dessert comes after the main course. They don't Mm -hmm. question it. Dessert Mm -hmm. comes after the main course. It would never occur to them in a million years, even if it's 40 years later and they go to a restaurant to order dessert first, because they grew up with dessert comes after the main course. Well, it's the same with the patriarch. It is so imbued within us for the past five, 6,000 years that to even see outside of it is difficult. But I can tell you when I was in high school and women, girl students were definitely considered second-class citizens, and some of my girlfriends and myself included didn't consider ourselves to be second-class citizens. So every time we saw something that was discriminatory against us, we spoke up. We spoke (laughs) out. This was the end of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s, and it was unusual to do that, but yeah. nobody told you us little, we couldn't, so we did. You little rabble-rousers, you. <laughs> <laughs> it, I remember it, it was when um, Wilma Rudolph became popular, and it was so rare to have an idol of a female sports idol. It, mm-hmm. it just was amazing, and so many of us glommed onto her because we just thought, oh, my God, a famous woman who's actually an athlete. Wow. You know, best. I don't even know who she is. What sport did she play? Um, I think it was tennis. Tennis. Well, you know, I'm fond of saying, you know, having being a recovering Catholic, you know, uh, such that I am, uh, you know, I'm fond of saying that women could dust the altar, but they couldn't preach from the altar, you know. And, Mm. um, I mean, and that's what I grew up with. I mean, I came from a a Catholic school. Uh, The nuns, I love the nuns. The nuns were great. Uh, But the nuns had no authority. They were just uh, the helpmates. They did all the work. Uh, they were they did the grunt work while the uh, yeah they could teach classes but it was pretty clear that it was the men the, the priests who had the authority and called the shots you know uh, I'm a recovering Jew and the same was true in Judaism where when I was a little girl the rabbi was a man yeah. nothing ever anything but a man and his wife did a lot of work for the temple, but just as a volunteer. Yeah. She wasn't even paid. She was expected to work full-time, but no salary. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, i got to tell you, more recently my husband and I um, took some Kabbalah classes uh, here at the L.A. Kabbalah Center, you know, the famous one with the Bergs, and I don't know whether that means anything to you, but um, I was really interested in Kabbalah because of the mysticism, uh, because so much of it, uh, you know, it's smacked of, uh, I mean, they do horoscopes and they read palms, and uh, I mean, they do a lot of witchy stuff, to tell you the truth. They Uh don't call it that, but... But it's the same thing. 
so you know we took the we took some of their classes and had a lot of fun and I have to say I enjoyed the people there they were very dedicated kind people um but they kept passing me from teacher to teacher to teacher because I asked an awful lot of uncomfortable questions <laughs> Uh-huh. And uh, they they finally gave me to one of the higher up teachers, and you know I kept talking to him about this idea of gender inequality, and he didn't see um, the he saw it as women had certain roles and men had certain roles, and there there wasn't any equality whatsoever. It's just we have different roles in the world. And um, and I said, okay, well, you know, if you really do believe, because this is what they taught, they said, if you really do believe that uh, women are spiritually superior and men have to embrace the, the feminine into themselves in order to be happy and successful and joyous, why is it women aren't the, at the front of the room in the temple? Why is it always the men? And he says, oh, well, you see, this is emanation theology, and the light comes down uh, through, it, it's a portal, and it, it's, uh, and, and the men, um, you know, it, you know they're, they're sort of, you know, they capture the light, and they disseminate <laughs> it into the temple where the women are. And I looked at him, and I, and I said, you know, uh, Yehuda, with all due respect, I can't help but get a visual of genitals. You know, I said, what you just described to me is ejaculation into a vagina. <laughs> and, oh, he, I like you know, it. He, you know, but it, 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 I mean, isn't that what he just said? You know, he, he said, you know, they, did, oh, anyway, I, I don't need to repeat it. But um, I a don't logical think he interpretation. Yes. Yes, you know, but I, I just, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think, and uh, I think he sincerely didn't think, um, you know, he thought, you know, he said, well, you know, the, you know, our women teach and they take care of the office and they do this and they do that. I said, yeah, they keep the, they're the glue that holds the place together. They keep it running, but they aren't really the ones in authority. Well, of course, with the exception of Karen Berg, they could always go, but look at Karen Berg. But that's like saying all women are doing well. Look at Oprah, you know. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to dominate the conversation here, but it's just interesting that, you know, because I wanted to ask you about how uh, gender uh, equity or inequity manifests, because obviously some people just think certain sexes, um, you know, they have a certain role to play, and it's not about inequality at all. Well, that would be like saying, okay, everybody, when you're born, you're going to get a car. Okay, all the men are going to get Rolls Royces and all the women are going to get jalopies. But it makes no difference because you're still going to be able to go wherever you want. Good one. Well, it makes a difference to me. If somebody has a Rolls Royce, I want to be eligible to get a Rolls Royce or any other car that I select. I don't want to be prejudged because I have a vagina. I can't do X, Y, or Z. Yes, exactly. And And also, I I don't want to. Judge that because someone has a penis, he obviously can do X, Y, or Z. True, absolutely, and and you know, and you could tell from you know the women who were, uh, I mean, the women were always pregnant. You know, all of the women were pregnant pushing strollers, 
and you uh-huh. know you can you, it, and they believed that they got more light or grace from God because they were life givers. So that was, but but you know it it I thought well what. It, you know, it, it, one of the other crazy things they taught, well, bad things happen to you if you don't tithe. You know, it kind of, I want to say, how convenient is that? You know, I, I mean, you, <laughs> you know, that keeps the money rolling in, that keeps the women popping out the babies, and um, stops them from, you know, having a different kind of life. And I, Isn't I think, that you I think, called indulgences? Yeah, I, yeah, but I, I, yeah, male indulgences, though, right? Give me your money and your sins will be pardoned. Yes. Those were indulgences in the Middle Ages. Oh, okay. Okay. I see what you mean now. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And, and I, I mean, this idea, I mean, I know Dominionist Christians are the same. Um, I've interviewed a few women who escaped, and that's their word, escaped from the Quiverful uh-huh. movement from evangelical Dominionist groups. And they're literally told that their role is to have babies, and they and they're supposed to keep having babies. And if they get to a point in their life when they're older and their bodies can't take it anymore, well, if they die in childbirth, they will just be a martyr for Christ. You know, right? Well, when these arguments come up, I usually I use my a priori solution, which is that if that's the way it's supposed to be, then I think that we've given it a fair shot for the past five to 6,000 years, and we clearly can see that it's not working. Right. right. Who would not right, agree right. that our civilization is going down? True, true. But uh, It's getting know, worse, not better. So if the men are in charge, uh, they need a break. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do need a break. They've worked so hard. They need to sit back on their recliner and turn things over to us. Um, but but in, no, know, they can the, keep their power. That's the beautiful part of my plan. They can keep their power, but our power, which is much greater than their power, gets added on to the equation. We don't take anything away from the men. They can play with all their toys. <laughs> well, and, and and you know, we have to be fair, Naya. We can't be sexist because you know what? There are some awful women out there, and there are some great men. So oh, yeah. let's just say yeah, yeah. we're speaking we're in generalities. <laughs> but you know, why don't you share with listeners how um, you know how this inequity manifests sometimes? Maybe it's some things they hadn't even thought of. Well, one of the things that really gets to me is everybody kind of knows that there are always more boys born than women because males are the weaker sex and they're not expected to survive. And, in fact, they don't survive. Women survive better. So in order to make the population equal over eons of time, uh, biology has evolved so that the, the structure of the sperm and the egg causes more boys to be conceived and born, usually born as well, because they're going to die off young. So um, after World War II, when um, women got off the assembly line and gave the menial jobs back to men, and they went back to college and started doing the research professions, a lot of uh, demographers, female demographers, started to emerge, and they started to look at the relative populations of men and women around the world. And what they saw was that uh, the population of women was getting less. And that continued to this day. And right now we are in a terrible deficit of women. It's said that up to 110 million women are missing. And where are they? They've been aborted. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I've read that I think it's in China and India, I think those were the two countries, that uh, because of the infanticide, the killing of the girl babies, uh, that they literally do have a woman shortage. So um, men, less desirable men. uh, Was it Korea? Korea is the worst at the moment, and they have to import foreign brides which costs a lot of money, and many men can't afford to import foreign brides. So you have a vast number of men who are at marriageable age that have no spouses. And this causes a huge balance in society, huge. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if that forces some sort of uh, polygamy where a a woman can take on more than one husband? Because usually it's the other way around, right? (laughs) (laughs) That, that. That might work out. I I don't have too much faith in these societies because they're very imbued with their what they think of as traditional beliefs, not knowing that these are actually new beliefs compared to the goddess civilizations. Mhm, mhm. And and um, wh- I mean, uh, I, this might be obvious, but um, but let's keep following this train of thought. Why is eradicating uh, gender inequity so important? Well, since we're we're taking it as a given that um, the rule of the males, which has existed up until now, has failed, and they have failed. In my mind, what I was looking for when I was looking for a, an answer, I was actually also looking for a question. Um, what are we lacking? Why is humanity going down? And the answer I got is everybody wants peace and prosperity. Those are the two things that are universally desired. And the male leadership thus far has failed to provide peace, peace and prosperity for all people. True. So, so you question, well, why is it that we haven't achieved peace and prosperity? And one of my theories was because women's voice has been squashed. We have not yeah. been participating to our full advantage. You know, there's a cliche in China that says it takes two pillars to hold up the sky, mm-hmm. meaning the male gender and the female gender. And when mm-hmm. you don't allow one of those pillars to support the sky, meaning that the female pillar is constantly being hacked, aborted, um, threatened, more diseases, less money, worse conditions, more work, every negative you can think of, well, then the women's pillar won't be able to hold up the sky and the sky starts to fall. And that's what's happening now. So I saw gender equity as uh, not necessarily being um, an equal number of men and women in every job, because that would just take eons. Or how about an equal number of men and women in government? They they estimate it would take more than 200 years at the rate Mm. we're going to get an equal number of women in government just in the U.S., So, no, I'm not looking at it from that point of view, although, of course, I wish it would be wonderful. I just want women's voices to be heard. I want women to have authority. So what I did was look back in history to see when was there peace and prosperity for all. Did we ever have it? And that's how I discovered the goddess religions and the the story of prehistory. But from Mm -hmm. the goddess religion and prehistory, I went forward in time to look at, well, was there anything more recent? And lo and behold, what I discovered was 
that when the founding fathers came from Europe to North America to found our very nation, the United States, they were basically clueless because none of them was familiar with any civilization that was not run by a monarch. And the last Mm -hmm. thing they wanted to do was have a monarch. So when they came to North America, they came face-to-face with one of these societies that had peace and prosperity for all. And they were so wise in recognizing that the Iroquois Confederacy actually held the secret that they were looking for of how to run a country without a monarch. So they invited the Iroquois elders, this is historical fact, to the First and Second Constitutional Convention to advise them on how to build a government without a monarch. And the elders, unfortunately, only the men came. So when they described their government, they described the three branches of government which the Founding Fathers adopted and which we now have. That's how the U.S. government works. It was based on the Iroquois Confederacy. Well, lo and behold, in my astonishment, I discovered that there was actually a fourth house, still exists, in the Iroquois Confederacy. I won't give you the name of it because it's a long Iroquois name. I call it the Council of Matrons. And it is a legislative body, just like the House of Representatives, democratically elected by the voters from each district, except for one catch. Every person who sits in that house must be a postmenopausal woman, and every voter who votes for them must be a postmenopausal woman. Hmm. Interesting. So the older the, women, the, uh, the duties Yes, the duties of the Council of Matrons are also very interesting because it's mostly advisory. So you see where we're not taking any power away from the men. But Mm -hmm. they have certain advisory roles that are really crucial. For instance, if any elected official in the government is proven to have broken a law, they can remove him or her. Well, you just got rid of half a Congress. Remove. (laughs) How do you like that? Yeah, Another one is control the food supply. So if they're looking at invading another country, in this case it would be another tribe, they can say, no, we're not going to go for this war. We will not give food to the troops. Yeah. And the third one that I love is they choose the chief from amongst the nominees put forward by the other three houses. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you realize that that is where the real power all is. In the, in this okay, uh, house so of matrons. Question is, can't first of all, do we want to restore the council of matrons? I say it's it, we got to give it a shot. Yeah. And the next question is, how do we do it? Well, obviously, we don't have to pass any laws because if it's an advisory body and it's voluntary to run for it, then all we need are volunteers to organize the election. It can yeah. be it can start in your neighborhood and volunteers to serve on the council. And when the council monitors the bills that are going forward in that municipality, they publicize their opinions based on, number one, is this bill, is the result of this bill good for the land? Number two, is it good for the children? Those are the Hawaiian values. So so what you're saying is start this locally. Exactly. You're not trying to say, you know, uh, you know, jump into doing it nationally. You're saying just start it locally. 
Exactly. It will have its own momentum. I think we're already starting to do it on Maui. And when Maui does something, such as that we did the referendum on uh, anti-GMO, which we passed, first place in the nation, immediately Northern California was right behind us, Oregon right behind them, Southern California right behind them, and Washington right behind them. It, wow. These are, you know... Because of the Internet, all of these memes are instantaneously spread. It's not like someone's yeah. doing something in their little corner and nobody knows about right. it. Those days are over. It's really so, the so high line. you actually line have out. one of these Council of Matrons there on Maui? We don't have it yet. We're in the the uh, the talking stage, let's say. I've wow. given my lecture on Maui twice. And people got excited, and I actually I have a um, group page on Facebook. So if anybody's interested in learning more about it, that would be the place to go. It's Council of Matrons Maui. Wow, I am so impressed. You know, and and here, um, I, I mean, I didn't know what you were going to say tonight for sure, but uh, I didn't know you were going to be coming with something so um, concrete and uh, reasonable. You know, I mean, because we yeah. always talk about these sort of things hypothetically, but, um, yeah. you know, it it uh, it feels doable. You know, you would just have to, um, look, you know, I think more men are becoming evolved as well. You know, oh, yes. and they're, they're, they're tired of shouldering the burden. They realize that the ship is sinking. Um, I think, you know, we might be surprised that there are more men than we think willing to... Um, you know, take on a partner, if you will, or uh, or, or listen listen to some wise counsel. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm I'm delusional, but uh, you know, I, I I think it's possible. I mean, look at the. I mean, who would have ever? I mean, talk about phenomena, surprises. Who would have ever thought Bernie Sanders was going to be the phenomena he is? <laughs> I, I think things are changing. You know, and I think oh, things absolutely. are changing quickly. Only in our dreams. We have imagined that. But I can tell you that the first volunteer I had on Maui was a man. He yeah. was the guy who videotaped my first speech. Wow. And, and, and you know, and that's me why I get a little annoyed when, you know, women want to exclude men, you know, as if they're all the enemy uh, and all women, you know, have the moral high ground. You know, I mean, that's so unwise. Um, you know, we're, you the know, pillars to hold up the sky. I, say again? Two pillars to hold up the sky. Exactly. And I do it with one. Yeah, and, and Rumi yes. says uh, the bird, uh, you know, the bird has two wings. Uh, you know, without both it can't fly, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, to turn away allies is just not a wise thing at all. You know, to heck with the genitalia. <laughs> if they're of the mindset, <laughs> I, I, I say bring it on. Well, um, well, Naya, is there any more to this you wanted to share with listeners before... Um, you know, before I, I let you go back to whatever it was you were doing on the wonderful island of Maui? <laughs> well, um, I, I think it might be interesting to talk a little bit about how I got this vision, because um, I usually put that in my speech and people like it a lot. Okay. So I was a retired principal, and I'm not a bridge or a tennis or golf player. I'm more of a political activist and world changer and feminist, and I've had many careers, as we've already discussed. So when I looked at the rest of my life, I plan to live another 20 or 30 years, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. So I decided that, well, I, I'm a nervy New York Jew. I have a big mouth. I'll just ask the universe to use my talents. 
<laughs> so I asked the universe, and I didn't get any answer. And I decided to ask again and again and again. And I did actually a 19-month, I won't say it was a retreat. It was like an, a mental exercise of asking the universe to give me an assignment. And I did it many, many times every day in total earnestness. And after hmm. 19 months, I got the answer, and it was so earth-shattering, because at this time, I knew nothing about uh, matrilocal, matrifocal, matrilineal societies, what happened in prehistory, the goddess. It was just an abstraction to me. I hadn't even read the books, nothing. So when I got the answer of that gender equity had to be restored in order for humanity to get back on track. Of course, my question was, well, how do you do that? And I started reading. And I knew that in order to write this book, I would need to have the equivalent of a Ph.D. in women's history. Luckily, I'm a speed reader. So I've read maybe 200 books in the past two or three years to do wow. the research for this book. And that's how I came up with this idea of the Council of Matrons, completely copied just as the three branches of government, which we now have, were from the Iroquois Confederacy. And wait, no, you said so much there. Did I hear you say you have a book out? Because I didn't see that in your bio. Uh, no, it's it's in the writing stages now. Okay, I did, okay. I've done the research stages. Now it's in the writing stages. But I've given the the talk so many times. Right, that, right. Um, it's very familiar. Well, that's I amazing. Sort of little, I mean, yeah. what diligence, what tenacity, 19 months. I mean, I think yes. I would have given up after nine days. <laughs> you no, mean, there, was, there was just – there was no um, – Voice. I mean, I was looking for an assignment for the rest of my life. Yeah. So there was really no choice. I had to keep asking until I got an answer. Yeah, seriously. Because the, the other alternative is, okay, you're you're on break. <laughs> I didn't want to be on break. <laughs> I'm still I still have you know a lot of juice for this. I really <laughs> want to not only to change the world. That's that's kind of a cliche. But I want the world to change. Because yeah. we're not going in a good direction. The trajectory of humanity is unsustainable. I see yeah. it really clearly. And we've got yeah. to change it, and it has to be fast. So we have to find a way that can do it like wildfire. We can't wait pie in the sky, let's pass the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, we should have passed it 20, 30 years ago, but we didn't. Because yeah. the people that that hurdle that that amendment has to get over in order to be passed, it's just too great right now. Let's yeah. pick a yeah. way that can happen. That's practical, that we can do ourselves. It's a grassroots movement. We yeah, know who the elders in our neighborhoods he, are, or in our community, yeah. who have the voice, who want to speak out, and they have no venue. This is a venue. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of our elders, um, and I don't mean to change the subject here, but I'm going to just ask you, and we might disagree, and that's okay if we do. What did you, I mean, did you hear um, Gloria Steinem? Um, talk about I mean it disturbed me a little bit I have to admit and I think she I I don't think she really meant to say what she said but I don't think she did feminism any good and I I guess I just wonder what your thoughts were I, I think she had a lapse um, you know, yes, it's a, a I did lapse in judgment. And I, I did hear it um, as it happened, and I was just, <gasps> I, I could hardly believe my ears. But I, I guess she meant it as sort of an offhand, snide comment, but I don't think that it in any way reflects her true feelings. Yeah. That was what yeah. astonished me. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I bet she wanted to grab those words back as they tumbled out of her lips. You know, oh, I, yes. we've all had those moments, com- you know. <laughs> I agree completely. And, and I also think that a lot of women, un- very unfortunately, to my way of thinking, are voting with their vaginas. Do I want to <laughs> see a female president? Of course I do. But rather than the sexist term female president, I want to see a president who's able to lead us out of this morass. Yes. And I don't yes. care if he has a vagina. Yes. <laughs> if he has a vagina, <laughs> great. If he doesn't have a vagina, I, it's okay, too. <laughs> I, you know, I think I think Bernie has a vagina. <laughs> I do, too. I, and well, and I'm not sure called, Hillary does. <laughs> they called um, Bill Clinton the black president. Same thing, I, because black they, people appreciated him so much. Yes, yes. And, you know, and I've been reading about them, and um, I, I mean, I didn't know much about him, I'll admit. You know, I didn't pay attention to politics when he was in office. I knew he signed the horrible NAFTA agreement, but I didn't know the, the um, terrible position he took that, you know, uh, caused so many people to become incarcerated. I didn't know about oh, yeah. Hillary, Hillary and the super predators. I mean, if the black community realized all of that, they wouldn't be behind him, you know. And I keep, I mean, I think Bernie, I love him, but I, I almost think he's a little bit too much of a gentleman that, you know, even his uh, surrogates <laughs> aren't delivering that information. You don't even see it unless you're on Facebook. Well, so, I, I, I think Bernie's campaign de- deliberately does not badmouth Hillary ever. They yeah. don't need to because. Bernie is such an outstanding candidate that people can see for themselves. I, yeah. I know my friends who are siding with Hillary, who want to vote for Hillary and want Hillary to be president, they're not looking at the record. They're only looking at the genitals. Yeah. And it's really sad because I can tell you in my history, when Bill Clinton was president, I really loved him. I didn't know that much. I was an activist. And compared to what had gone before, I just thought he was terrific. And I had the idea that Hillary would make an excellent president. So I was in the Hillary for president way, way before this ever happened. And then I went to the women's conference in Beijing in 1995. And um, Hillary came and spoke to us. And I was so excited to see... I was sure the first woman president of the U.S. speaking in person, and Mm -hmm. I got up at 5 in the morning, and I went to line up to go to the stadium, and it was this huge stadium that held 5,000 people, and it was pouring rain, and we had umbrellas. And right before she was supposed to speak, they said, nope, sorry, it's going to be in this little theater. So run to the theater, push and shove to get in. You know, we're going to see Hillary. I'm so excited. I get a 10th row center seat, and Hillary comes on, and she gives a speech to all of us delegates to the Women's Conference in Beijing in 1995, and she uses the pronoun you, what you have to do to advance the women's movement, not we. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, I saw that she was not one of us. Yeah, yeah, and well, that was and the agree, end of my. I, yeah, and 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 I agree with you that a lot of the feminists I know, I you know, 
some of them are older than me, um, and I think before they die, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be crude, but I think before they die, they want to see a woman in the White House. But I think Elizabeth yeah. Warren is probably the best next woman for the White House, you know? I mean, what a, I mean, can you imagine the dream ticket of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and then, you know, and then for the next election, she runs for president? I mean, it's perfection. But you yes, know, it's perfection. <laughs> She's so useful where she is right now that True. it's very hard to get out. We have to have a Democratic majority in the in the Senate. <clears throat> excuse me. Otherwise, we'll never get any justices on the Supreme Court. True. 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 That's and really yeah. vital. I mean, uh, I don't know if you heard the opening of my show, but I, I happened to just quickly mention Scalia and his uh, conflicts of interest. And, you know, it's amazing to me that um, these people on the Supreme Court have been able to dodge all of their conflicts of interest that, uh, you know, they've obviously voted in favor of. I mean, they've made a sham, some of them, you know, of the Supreme Court. And, you know, we're left to live with, the you know these decisions you know Citizens United you know squashing uh, voter rights you know I, I mean all of them the Hobby Lobby uh, all of this stuff it's just insane and I'm sorry I'm not sorry the man died um, it, it, it's maybe not nice to say I but it was extremely gracious of him to pick this timing yeah, one of his finer him. deeds for sure there we go. There's something I can, you know, think good about him for. <laughs> yes. Uh, and well, he actually uh, was instrumental in passing four measures during his tenure that were incredibly progressive. So really? he wasn't all bad, by, by no means. But okay, um, I, I, I can, I'll give you a sneak preview of my candidate for the next justice. Okay. Michelle. Obama? Yeah. Wow! Can you I think of anyone more qualified? Well, you know, I, uh, she's I perfect. didn't know she Black, was, she's I, a woman. She's a constitutional law professor. She's in I the heart of Washington. Okay. Well, that yeah. would be something. She's totally totally qualified, and I I I would I would love to think that the Republicans wouldn't have the heart to say no to her because she's impeccable. They can't accuse oh. her of anything. Well, you know what? But they they so hate the Obamas. You know, I I would ju- I would be afraid that uh, it 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 would just be their hatred for um, you know for the president would uh, ruin her chances. You know, I mean he the that again, would be anyone that he nominates. I, I get the the racism. You know. Um, but we'll see. I'm just worried that Obama is going to do something stupid and choose some um, uh, moderate right candidate, you know, so that it's not a big fight. Because, you know, I felt like his whole presidency, well, well, to a certain extent, you know, he goes into these negotiations, you know, he goes into a knife fight with a book, you know, and uh, you know, and, and I just felt like he doesn't fight hard enough, and we end up getting making concessions that we shouldn't be making. You know, the country's been pulled so far right that you know we we need to pull it. You know, we we need a, a mule team pulling it left to just recover the ground we've lost. Yes, well, Bernie is that mule team. Yeah, yeah, and we're the mules, <laughs> and I don't mind. Uh, yeah, I don't Not mind in the least. I feel hopeful. Well, you know, I'm yes. sorry we sort of got sidetracked there. Was there um, was there anything else, Naya, that you wanted to share? Uh, because you're so interesting. Please uh, don't be shy. Thank you. Speak up. 
Um, give me a question. I'll give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so what are you doing next? Is uh, you know is is your work there in Maui um, working on uh, you know this this matrons council to you know make it a, more of a concrete reality? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my main work is writing the book because I've done so much research that uh, it's almost like I like the metaphor where doing the research, you're climbing the mountain, and when you get to the top, you can ski down. (laughs) So that's the writing of the book. I had to teach myself all of this, as I said, equivalent of getting a Ph.D. in women's studies. Now I have it, and now I want to put it on paper. So that's my main work. And um, also going to the mainland every summer and giving my speeches. Uh, Hopefully I'll be at some of the goddess conferences this summer giving the speech so more people will get on board. And um, I would love to have everyone who wants to join the Facebook page. I post almost every day interesting articles and Council of Matrons Maui. Okay. And, and you know, uh, if you do find yourself, uh, if you know ahead that you're going to be here in L.A., uh, please let me know, because if I'm still doing the Joseph Campbell Roundtables uh, in Irvine and Venice Beach, I would love to invite you to come give a talk. Oh, that would be wonderful. I have two uh, little grandbabies. <laughs> One's a new one. One is two uh, in Culver City. Oh, God, I'm in Venice Beach. We're oh. neighbors. Exactly. So I, I'm there quite often. Okay, wonderful. That is good to hear. Uh, I don't know if you know Beyond Baroque, uh, the literary arts uh, place on um, uh, Venice Boulevard, right down from the library. Oh, uh, I, but, I, I look forward to learning about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's where we do hold the Venice Joseph Campbell Roundtable every other month, and uh, then we also go to the Goddess Temple in Irvine uh, every other month as well. You know, alternating months, but. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I have a feeling I'll I'll be seeing you in the not too distant future. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Naya, thank you so much for tonight. It's been an awful lot of fun, and we covered stuff I didn't even expect we would cover, and it's been just <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you so much, and uh, you know, let's uh, let's keep in touch, especially with our uh, our Bernie business. Absolutely. Okie doke. All right. Well, good night, and uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed that. What about you? Uh, That was fun. Thank you, Naya. Well, I still have a few minutes before I have to say good night, and something I've been wanting to tell you for the last couple shows, and I just run out of time. I wonder if you heard about Michael Moore's new movie. Well, you know, he's not out and about uh, promoting it too much because the poor guy has been in the hospital with pneumonia. Well, he's home recuperating now, but he's still, um, you know, he, he, uh, I mean, he was in, in in really bad shape. So he's home recovering still but uh, please check your local listings for his uh, his new movie called where to invade next uh, please go to the movie, tell your friends about the movie. Uh, and this, it's so important, I think, the, the topic, because he goes from country to country uh, telling you about the wonderful things that uh, these countries do for their people. And um, it's the idea that we should have those things here. Uh, if you're a Bernie Sanders um, 
devotee as I am, uh, I think, you know, this fits right in alignment with that. Because, you know, we used to have a lot more than uh, than Americans have now. I, I don't know if I've told you this before or if I just thought it. Sometimes I have trouble remembering what I say to you, my dear listeners, and what I put on Facebook or in my talks. But, you know, I remember when I was uh, first in the workforce, you know, I, I was not in upper management by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't even in lower management. I was in the clerical pool. And, you know, we had benefits. You know, uh, I made enough money to rent an apartment myself. I had vacation. I had sick leave. I had profit sharing. Uh, the company would uh, help pay for college. Uh, you could go to community college for next to nothing. If your loved one was sick and you had to stay home to take care of your loved one, the state paid you a check. Um, you know, I, I forgot what it was called. I mean, so many things we used to have, and they've been taken away from us. I mean, like, for instance, mental health care. You know, the Reagan administration just gutted all of that uh, money that we used to spend to keep homeless people off the street, you know, to have people who need psychiatric help, people who are on meds, who can't, um, you know, hold down a normal job and live normal lives. They used to be able to get treatment. There used to be money for that. There used to be money for a lot of things, but our money is being diverted to corporate welfare, to the military-industrial complex. Uh, it's being diverted to the to the one uh, percent, leaving us with a crumbling infrastructure, with people not being able to go to college, or if you do go, you can never pay off your student loans. I mean, we're in bad shape. And and my point in, in repeating this, if I haven't said it before, is that when you know people say, oh, Bernie Sanders wants to just give everything away, well, they're relying on the fact that people either don't know any better or people have amnesia. Go ask your parents. Go ask your grandparents if what I'm saying isn't true. We really used to take care of the people in this country. It wasn't handouts. People still worked hard, but they had a way to go to college without going into debt. And uh, health care wasn't as expensive as it is now. I mean, corporations have run amok. They have their boot on our neck. And we're not going to survive if we don't turn things around and take power away from these corporations. It just isn't going to happen. But back to the Michael Moore movie, please go see Where to Invade Next uh, because, you know, he has been an advocate for uh, the American worker and Americans uh, for decades with his movies. Um, I remember when he had the movie out about GM abandoning Flint, Michigan, and um, how it devastated that city. Um, he's a great guy, and uh, let's help him let's be a um you know michael moore's um a support system while he's not well and can't do this for himself uh so please uh go to um you know go to your local listing see if that movie is playing uh where to invade next and take your friends and by the way even in his sickness he is doing what he can uh, to fight against that uh, ridiculous Republican governor in Michigan. Uh, he has a petition going to get this guy put in jail because of um, uh, you know, him being complicit in poisoning the people of Flint. Um, 
I'm sure you can find out uh, more about that. Just go to Michael Moore's uh, website. I'm sure it is probably just uh, michaelmoore.com and sign the petition. Go to his movie. Uh, let's uh, stick together. Let's uh, show some solidarity and partnership. And um, it's a great way to say thank you to Michael for his years of service uh, trying to fight the establishment and uh, uh, make the world a better place. So, again, Where to Invade Next is Michael Moore's movie. And the final thing I want to tell you tonight before we go is uh, you may or may not recall that uh, one of my mentors is Rhianne Eisler, who wrote The Chalice and the Blade and Our Real Wealth and um, uh, lots of other great books. Well, uh, she has started something called the Center for Partnership Studies, and they do wonderful webinars. I'm currently enrolled in their um, uh, the Power of Partnership webinar, It's uh, we're sort of in the middle of that. But they're about ready to start another one. And uh, you want to know about this, because if you've been looking for a way to make a difference in the world, if you want to find out the language to use to go out there and... Um, uh, you know, fight for a saner, uh, more practical economic system, you need to look into this. Uh, they're starting something called the Caring Economy Advocates Program, or CAP. Uh, it's now in its sixth year, and it provides the language, tools, and experience you need to step confidently into leadership as a local ambassador of the Caring Economy Campaign. And... Um, uh, it's going to start March 8th, and it's going to meet on Tuesdays. Again, this is a webinar, so you can do this from wherever you are. Uh, it's going to be, it looks like, six classes. Uh, they're only going to be taking 15 people. Uh, please go to caringeconomy.org backslash advocates and um, take advantage of the early bird discount. I think there's also another discount if you recommend a friend. Uh, but if you really want to make a difference and you just uh, have been looking for a way to do it and maybe you didn't feel like you had all the tools and the know-how, this is, uh, this is something to think about. This might be a way uh, that you can do that. So um, I hope you'll think about it. Also, uh, please remember the three Fs. Uh, click the follow button on my blog talk show page so you get notice of guests each week and you don't have to rely on getting my emails because often I don't have time to send out reminders. Of course, you can always go back and check the archives, but if you want to hear stuff live uh, or in the most timely uh, you know, that's the way to do it. Also, uh, go to my Facebook pages, uh, if you haven't already, and please like them. I have a Karen Tate page. Uh, I have a Karen Tate author page. There's also pages for my books, and I post different things there. There's the Goddess Calling page, the Walking in Ancient Path page, and the Sacred Places of Goddess page. And um, let's See what else do I want to share with you? Um, I think uh, let me just close by by uh, repeating one of the quotes of mine from uh, my Goddess Calling book. The great she is challenging us to do what's right for the most of us, for the sake of humanity and the planet. And you know what? That's why um, I'm behind Bernie Sanders. And for those people who say he can't win. Uh, because that's what they want you to think, I will remind you of the motto of this show, which are the words of Gandhi. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And I am looking forward to winning in November, and I'm going to work my butt off 
until then and do everything I can because I don't want to look back and say, gee, if only I had helped. That's right. Okay, my dear listeners, remember you are the gas in my tank. I appreciate you. Uh, You keep me going. I love you. Keep sending in your comments and your show ideas. And um, never give up. Be tenacious. Be Sekhmet's daughters and sons. Uh, In the words of Thomas Paine, we have it in our power to make the world over again. And I think we're doing just that. Uh, be with me next uh, next week. Um, have some more great guests uh, as usual. I'm biased, I know, but I think they all are good. I choose them with care. They're all vetted. Uh, be with me next Wednesday, and um, until then, uh, have a great week and go volunteer somewhere for Bernie. Okay. Good night. <laughs>